Podcast. Like, I loved these guys so much. I loved these songs about love so much. And when I, when I realized these were gay men writing about other gay men, it just, it, something internally for me shifted. Like, there's no way you can love these songs and have them mean so much to you and not understand something fundamental like, if, yeah, if these songs are for you and they are love songs yeah. about love they're not love songs about your your version of love so I, a huge shout out to those guys for bravely breaking down all kinds of barriers in rock and roll for sure 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys Simon's on energy level on a scale of one to ten. Where are you? Uh, I mean, I was like negative six until I saw your faces, and now I put myself at a solid eight. Okay, wow. Let's do it. It's a big 14-point swing. Can't let the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network down. That's true. Correct. We are part of the Drive-In Podcast Network. Trucking along here. Uh, Ben Barton, energy level, scale of one to ten. I just ate an entire dark chocolate bar, so I'm going to pick up in about five minutes. That's okay. my plan. Okay. We're just Are gonna... you full of your tummy's full of Korean barbecue as well? Is yeah, that no, for sure. You know how those two things mix? That's a natural pairing. <laughs> so it's going to work <laughs> out really, for me for sure. Really dangerous. We're going to have to fire through this podcast. Hey, exciting podcast tonight because it has to go up tomorrow morning. There's somebody <laughs> yeah. listening to this right now who, uh, who was just going to sleep when we started recording. How about that? That's nuts. Love it. I'm also very excited that uh, in two hours, I get to watch my beloved Golden State Warriors play their first meaningful game of the season. I'm very oh, excited about I'm that. So ex- can we get a, a little uh, bet on Knicks Celtics versus Warriors for the season? Most wins? Oh, let's do- let's go. Most wins, furthest uh, in the playoffs, and... Uh, whether our we our team houses the MVP, I love it. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not what, sure. What about are you that. Thinking, like? I'm not putting any money on the Knicks for any of these things. That's not <laughs> kind of you at no, all. You're out on the bet. Let's let's have a big bet on who has the best player. Go. <laughs> I have the greatest player who ever lived. All right. Um, well, it is anyway. It is 1985. We are about 15 years old, maybe 16, some of us, right? Yep. Uh, Good times, good times. I am in Situate, Massachusetts right now. I've just moved there as a 15-year-old, brand new sophomore at a big public school. Uh, Just trying to make my way, trying to introduce myself to folks, making friends. And how's it going so far? Have you made any friends, Tim? I, I had a rough time at the age of 15. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. Uh, ben, where were you at age 15? I was in, this is our junior year, right, Jeff? 85, 86 is my junior year. So yeah. the first half of 85 is sophomore and fall is junior. Yeah. Second half of 85, I turned the corner. Junior year is when I, I kind of got, I got a girlfriend. I got it together. Hey, now. Things All were right. happening for me. That is good. 
Is this yeah. the year you have gym class where the guy's like, I'm going to put you in summer school? No, no, that's next year. We can do that next animals. year for sure. Will you promise to tell that story <laughs> next year? Because I cannot get enough of your gym class guy. He is the greatest character of my childhood, and I didn't even meet him. <laughs> <laughs> cannot wait. Cannot wait. All right. Well, what were we listening to in 1985? Surely we were listening to the Grammy winner for Album of the Year. It's the Grammy winner. No Jacket Required by Phil Collins. time to get to the chorus oh. what's the chorus of that one <laughs> so i can remember <laughs> take, please take, me, take home. me home oh good lord yeah i like that song i like that song ben barton you're you out like on that a... song i like that I song i like I have, what I have year is in spot. the air tonight i actually like in the air that's, that's 80, earlier 82 yeah the yeah. other that big... was it that was seriously that was the very last phil phil collins song that i could stand genesis could... any permutation yeah I, I played that's the only song in this record that has aged okay for me because you remember how this record starts is like it's this. a susu studio listen to that oh yeah i called it susu studio susu studio is wow. just such a affront to humanity that's so the, the freaking drum sound on the one we heard was horrible oh, oh i know I just bongos think it's really, is fake bongos yeah i like that harmony i like uh <laughs> i like the harmony parts on take me home i'm a sucker for it no yeah. but it's, ow, a, it, it's ow, records ow. age the best part of this whole experience is the video music video for yes. don't lose my number where the guy eats a sandwich over the guitar <laughs> solo and they actually have him say like Who's your guitar player? It's great. Great sandwich. That's the best moment in Phil Collins's career. Yeah. yeah Wait, he... What year is what year is <laughs> I can't dance? Oh, that's Genesis in 91. That sounds so awful. <laughs> First of all, I, I'm pretty sure it's Jim Tomey. That was his walk-up yeah. music. Yeah, and it, no, it, it was it, it murdered me every time. <laughs> I was like, I believe you, Jim Tomey. I think you likely can't dance. Good point. Oh God, so bad. And the way he sings that, that ah, can't dance. It's so that song's That was his walk-up music. Yeah, totally. I just oh. made me really happy. But this deserves the Grammy. And Phil Collins had three number one records with four number one records with Genesis back to back interspersed with number one solo records. I mean, I, this is incredible from 82 to 92. There wasn't a year without Phil Collins at number one. That's insane. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's crazy. And he was like a, 
a little squishy Australian guy. Like he wasn't good looking. He wasn't he sexy. He wasn't I thought he was I mean, British. He's Australian. He's Australian. No. Yeah. Well, how did he end up in Genesis? Because he moved to England as a little kid. But he's born in Australia. I I hope I'm not wrong about was that. He in a, was he in a skiffle band? He was like a child <laughs> actor, like doing co radio commercials and stuff. He's like, hello, love. I mean, he's like been in the business since he was like three years old. And he's still alive, right? Yeah, he's in yeah. really bad health. Genesis is touring and he has to sit on a chair and sing. Like he can't. But I mean, they like did not age at all. Like, you know what I mean? Like in comparison yeah. to like, there's no Springsteen following waiting. Can't wait to hear the, the you know, go to that concert. Right. It's crazy. No, no one's going to Genesis. Like, no, Billy, born in West London. I'm totally wrong. I'm totally wrong. He was born in West London. But I am right that he was a child actor and started performing at age five. But he's not from Australia. I was wrong about that. Okay. Sorry, Phil. That's all right. Uh, well, we By like the way, if you've heard of the air tonight, he does not forgive very easily, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I know. If you're I'll drowning, lie. he won't throw you alive, just to clarify. He will remember. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come after you at a concert. He'll be sitting, but he'll come after you. Yeah, exactly. I think I can get away from Phil Collins at this point. Pretty, oh, pretty man. Maybe not his goons. <laughs> no, no jacket required. Uh, Phil Collins. 1985's album of the year. Wow. Um, of course, we covered this before, but We Are the World oh. is recorded in January 28th. January 28th. I, I think we made fun of it in our first season. Could I can't imagine we, we praised it. Well, now I'm going <laughs> to make you. So pick, pick the MVP, the legit MVP of the We Are the World recording session. Oh, well, it's, a Dylan. A... it's Dylan by a mile. Oh, no, totally. you're making fun right now. You're mocking hey, When Dylan comes in. Make it. We're saving <laughs> He's unbelievable on that. Uh, <laughs> and then they have the video. And I mean, you can look on his face. He's like, yeah, what am I doing here? No, dude, and I, honestly, I really, really think as soon as the video ended, he called, he was like, on the, he was like, I need to use the phone. He called his manager. He's like, I'm getting paid, right? Like you're getting paid to do this? The man's like, no, it's a charity gig. He's like, that is coming out of your end because I need to get paid to do this. Uh, did you guys own the album? There's a full-length record no. of the world that had tracks from artists. Which and it does had... not it does not make album of the year. It's nominated, but Phil yeah. Collins well, takes it away. I will say for for like 15 years, it was the only place you could get a recording of Trapped by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And oh, it was a live take from East Rutherford in 84, and it's a banger. It's a fantastic live performance. And so that that's the MVP of the album, and it's not <laughs> it, even close. It was trapped on that album. That's it was trapped in the middle of side one, like with some other really, like, uh, with your sisters. Yeah. Uh, it's in 1985 where journalist Terry Anderson is kidnapped. He'll, he'll remain, remain in uh, captivity till 1991. Oh, that's just a rough haul. Um, this is also the year that, that the city of Philadelphia des decides to drop a bomb. The move. On the, move. move the move disaster. They bomb their own citizens. Bomb their own citizens. 11 people died and, and the homes of 61 people were destroyed. That, that whole And did you do Habitat in that neighborhood with me? No. Tell I us. did some Habitat for Humanity work in that neighborhood that, the, yeah. that had been bombed out. And like it was... It was pretty amazing to go there and like see that, you know, because I was there, what, 
five years later and it, it yeah. looked like it had happened like two weeks before oh god um well, let's uh, let's go to some good Philadelphia news. We didn't talk about this in season one, and this was one of the big moments of my teenage years. This is the year that Villanova beats Georgetown in the NCAA championship. Did you guys watch that game? Oh, yeah. So great. Totally well, did. What do you remember from that game? Uh, the inbounds pass with one second left where Pinkney just fell on it and Graham is trying to like punch him to get him to, to get the <laughs> foul and he can't get it. That's I just remember the last second and a half really. And then, then they did not miss it. Didn't they that go was like what 10, I remembered. 10 yeah. for 11 in the second half or something like that? Like they didn't miss a shot. I, I, I mean, they, they shot over 50%, right? Like it was an insane shooting percentage. Oh, they shot they, 73% or something no, like they that. Didn't. Did they yeah, really? they did. It's insane. Yeah. Great, great underdog win. And because uh, I'm a Knicks fan, I retroactively disliked that. Like, that was just part of the Ewing narrative. Ewing, really yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> well, this will cheer you up. The first WrestleMania occurs. And the climactic match is a tag team match of Hulk Hogan and who versus Paul Orndorff and Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper, who was Hulk Hogan's partner in WrestleMania. Was it you, Timmy? It was not me. Although that would have made a lot of friends in 10th grade and situate. If you <laughs> I had really been. needed that. <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed in you guys. I don't know. You, I don't know shit about wrestling at all. I never understood it or got it and never watched more than five seconds of it. Uh, I don't even. I don't even know you anymore. I know. Uh, it, like, it's, it big, was, it's a really big difference between the two of us. Like, I just went right over my head and passed me. It was Mr. T. Uh, Mr. T, for real? For oh real. Oh, my God. I can't believe you just said that because I actually quoted Mr. T today at work. Did you? How did I got, you I got an email that really irritated me. And to uh -oh. myself, I said, don't give me that jibba-jabba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was really hoping for I pity the fool. Nope. I got right. an email that was all jibba jabba. Jibba jabba. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. Finally, Ruth Lawrence graduates from Oxford University in 1985. It's a big deal. Why? Because she becomes. She's 13 years old. Uh, 13 years old, graduated from Oxford with a degree in mathematics. Started when she was 10. What are we doing with our lives, gentlemen, on this did, here podcast? Did she, did she marry Doogie Howser? <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys not. feel about that stuff? I actually find those, not the older I get, the more I find those stories deeply depressing because behind every 13-year-old graduate of Oxford is a parent that uh, should be ashamed of themselves for the most part. Wow. So I think that's too, too hard. We don't know the answer to that. There, I mean, there are people who are just like incredibly gifted and just have to be moved on. That's fine. And then for every one of those, there's 11 stories like that movie oh, Shine. That's where the guy's like, when I was five, I had a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Ruth Lawrence apparently is doing very well nowadays. She's, Good. I mean, she's our age. We were not at Oxford in 1985. <laughs> no. um, she is teaching mathematics at the Einstein Institute of Math at Hebrew University in Israel. So 
landed on her feet after what I assume was a very difficult teenage years. And I can relate. Uh, and look at me. I've landed on my feet. <laughs> Jimmy. All right. Let's get to the number one selling album of 1985. Uh, do you have any guesses, Ben Barton? Which album within this calendar year sold the most? Just Here's a hint. Clue. Here's a hint. It was not released in 1985. It was released in 1984. Still no luck. Hit it, Jeff. I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the... I was trying to pick the least popular song from this record, but there is no such thing. It's the number one album. Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Good one. So the, the drum tracks on, on Huey Lewis go uh, electric and programmed. Certainly those Phil Collins drums sound. This one too. Programmed. That's this a, that's too? a, the snare drum is a replacement. It's a digitized digital snare drum. They replaced every drum hit Max did and every drum hit on the live record is a replacement what? digital snare drum why? so that all the songs sound similar, which is why all these live shows that Springsteen's been putting out through his website sound so much more normal because it's, it, they haven't futzed with them. It's the original recordings. I, I mean, I just don't understand. Like, they're just trying to get us this, this soulless, antiseptic drum sound. Like, what the whole point of drums is you get to bang around and express things. It just, you know, it turns it into pop music. If the drum track is reliable and repetitive and familiar, it, it makes it more immediately accessible. You know, Ugh. I I saw Wilco last night and uh, in the middle of the set, I turned old to my friend, friend Michael Jorgensen. Like, our old friend. Now, I don't, last night in the opening act was the bass player from Cracker, who I had spent like a whole weekend with a month before uh -huh. I came in. It was like, hey, it's Brian. He's like <laughs> touring with the opening act. And then oh, fun. Michael Jorgensen came out for, uh, they sounded fantastic. But at one point I turned to my friend and was like, you know, if Bruce Springsteen had gone and gotten like a, a graduate degree, the Wilco, that's what the Eastry band would have sounded like. Like Wilco is just the artsy weirdo version of the e street band i mean they just like instead of like these rave up come on everyone sing along one two three four they like stare at the floor and go into these crazy psychedelic <laughs> like incredibly challenging freak out jams but uh yeah they were great Good stuff by the way highly recommend this wilco tour they're out there they're really enjoying themselves and just packed full of peanuts it was really well good they came to Asheville, but we had our first game of our volleyball season, as you may recall, and I could not go. Gah. Well, but hey, they, Thursday night, playoffs. Go Blues. Yeah, baby. Come on now. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, everyone. I will send the link out so you can all, all our listeners can watch uh, the Blues play online. Um, all right. Are you ready to move on? Any, any further Springsteen thoughts, Benny? Yeah, that, that song sounded terrific, and there's some pretty good songs on that record. 
Yep. Um, it is insane. It's insane how many hit songs there were on that yeah. record. Georgia actually had like a moment where she was like kind of sort of liking Springsteen and and uh-huh. um, she was asking a little bit of the story of it. And I was like, well, you know, on the board in the USA, it was the big hit. She was like, well, like, what do you mean by big hit? Like, what was such a big hit? And I was like, well, I'm going to play my hometown. I'm going to be like, that was played on the radio. And she was like, wait, what <laughs> happened? And I was like, oh, yeah, that was a top 40 hit. Like a hit radio station. Next up, my hometown. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a song. Uh, <laughs> well, we've got a lot to cover before we even get to our three albums, because I gave you guys some homework. And really, this is impossible homework. And my son, Patrick, is like, well, are you going to go? And I'm like, well, I'm. I'm more the host for the talent and, and they are the ones who are going to go. He's like, you should go. I'm like, I don't want to be put in the position where I have to pick the top three lyricists of all time. I feel that's a no win situation. Um, so with that being said, who wants to go first? Ben is going first. Are we trading off one and one and one and one? No, because I'm going to extra cheat. And then I think Jeff will appreciate my cheating. Okay, let's hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to say cheating. the decades. I'm just going to list people and they're attached to decades. I thought that was the best way to do this. Okay. Woody Guthrie, Chuck Berry, okay. Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, Chrissy Hines, Chuck D, Brandy Carlisle, Kendrick Lamar, Lord. Okay. That's, That's pretty list. good. That's, That's pretty good list. list. Yeah. And I couldn't get down to three, but I was like, you know, if you do it by time, it's, it's all right. It's fair. Yeah. So um, you're going to have to tell me what decades I'll, for fifties. You said Chuck Berry. Yeah. I'll say Ray Charles. That's fair. Fifties. But I mean, this... like you're with me, right? I've got like the great oh. 28, the Chuck Berry's greatest oh, hits. Amazing. I bought that when I was 15 and I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> I spent, just... I spent an entire <laughs> I spent an entire class period on Chuck Berry's school days when I introduced American culture. Yeah, like the invention of the of the post World War II teenage culture is all in that one song. It's wow. unbelievable. Yeah, um, and then with okay for sixties, you said Dylan. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. And you said Springsteen for the seventies. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I really like Joe Strummer's lyrics. I know they're a little sloganeering and they've date they have they've gotten a little dated, but I I that guy could turn a phrase. And then you had Chuck D for the 80s. That was gonna be my sneaky pick. No, Chuck D's for the 90s. Oh, okay. Cause because I I guess Fear of a Black Planet is 1990, isn't it? So you can't uh 80s lyricist. I'll like hold Chrissy off. On that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Who wrote Maneater, Hall or Oates? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't really. That's a great list. I can't really improve on it. I like. Um, uh, no, Kendrick Lamar is a great choice, too. I'll just I'll, I'll stand pat with that list. There's, I have no objections to that list. So why would I why would I bother to mess with it? Well, who are your three, though? I mean, if you had three ready, let's do it. Uh, well, you already named two of my three. I'm just trying to think of somebody like, cause I, you know, there are people who are pithier than that and they have turns of phrase that I love, but they're also guilty of being too clever by half. 
Like, I think right. Elvis Costello's written some amazing lyrics, and then he's written some lyrics where it's like, these 47 words all sound like each other. <laughs> right. And that doesn't... Uh, so I, You're I'm not going to choose Townsend? I thought Townsend would yeah, be A1A1A. Pete, Pete has some wonderful moments, but he's also really... Um, he's impenetrable sometimes. Like sometimes a Pete Townsend song, I'm like, I've listened to it a thousand times and I don't a hundred percent for sure know what he's talking about. And I was trying to think of like popular songs where the lyric is so simple, but also just so spectacular. And you named a bunch of like modern guys that I really like. I'm surprised neither of you have mentioned Jeff Tweedy. Some of Jeff's lyrics I absolutely love. The last three or four records, he's he's more of a tone poet than a lyricist. Like they're, I'm not sure what the songs are about, and like you know, he's I I I have a complicated relationship with the last couple Wilco records lyrically in ways that the early records. It was funny last night he plays a song. I'm like, yeah, this lyric, this is not a lyric that I I can get behind. And then he would play an older one. And I'm like, oh my god, this song just crushes me. <laughs> it's so good. So. Got a yeah, box Tweety's, full of Tweety's, letters. Tweety's fab. He played that last night. That was amazing. Yeah, so fun. Like, yeah. How about you, Tim? Who's on your list? Uh, I was gonna go uh, Dylan, Springsteen, and Tweety. Those are good. I might put. I might want to throw Otis Redding in there for like culture yeah, naming. I love mm -hmm. Try a Little Tenderness and yep. um, These Arms of Mine. Like those songs are. Oh, are... Dude, you don't miss your water. Oh <laughs> God, that's an unbelievable lyric. Yeah. yeah. So I might throw Otis in the mix too. I like that. I mentioned Otis Redding in class, and and the kids are just like, "Who?" I'm like, oh. oh yeah, dude. dude. Yeah, he's. Well, I'm gonna he's been, I'm gonna make you guys a playlist. You're gonna he love. Died it. before we were you. It died before anybody yeah. on this podcast was born. I mean, right. really is, Sixty but... years old. Yeah, it's tough. Wow. Music. I mean, maybe fifty-eight, but I mean, it's tough. That's a tough get. All right, let's do I mean, it. Seriously, I... think about it, Timmy. When oh, you, you know were what? in high school. Yeah. So basically, in 1985. If your teacher was like, you know, who you need to check out is 1935's own. Yeah. Like that would have been tough for you. Well, I still drive a 1996 Honda Accord. So I'm like, wait a minute. In 85, how old is, you know, what yeah. kind of car am I driving right now? That's um, a really old car. Tom Petty belongs on the list too. He's a terrific lyricist. Now, is he writing those or is Mike Campbell writing those? No, it's, it's TP. He's right. Uh, Campbell wrote the lyrics for Boys of Summer, which is also a great lyric. Yeah, but um, I thought he wrote the music and what's his name wrote the lyrics. John Henley. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought Campbell wrote those lyrics, but I'm probably wrong. He, he you had the Australia thing wrong. So I'm wrong it's about a, it's so, a tough I'm night. wrong about so tough many night. things, guys. I, I'm Let's aware go. Our three albums. Our three albums. Jeff Simons, you're up. I'm up. Let's I go. I can't believe I didn't talk about these guys in the first round. It's uh, it's ridiculous. So, um, there are there are a few bands you have right who you you know you realize at some point like oh right now this is my favorite band in the world and it's probably a short list you know it's half a dozen groups or records you fall crazy in love with right and there are there are um there are little moments or shows that you saw, but like you just have this moment where you're listening to a band. You're like, you know what? Right now, this is my favorite band in the world. Right. And Wilco is that band for me. It's been, it's been the who the clash, like bands we've talked about, but this, this band 
there was a, a, a year or two where they were more important to me than any other music. And, and unlike some of the stuff from my childhood that faded away, these guys have not faded away. I come back to this band over and over and over and over. Cool. And I try to bring, I, I, every time I teach my rock band class, I put these guys on and I do the like, uh, hey, Huh? Huh? I mean, it's crickets. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't get anybody to fall for these guys the way I fell for them. But I oh, still no. love them. Um, so American hardcore, like we we talked about it a little bit. Minor, I, I put Minor Threat up in 1983, just like a hundred miles an hour in a cloud of dust. By 1985, the great hardcore bands are slowing down. And they're learning how to play and they're getting interested in songcraft besides the like 45 second sloganeering. And, and this band makes that shift better than any other without a question. This band starts as hardcore that is so fast and so impenetrable as to be unlistenable. Their first record is called Land Speed Record. It is 15 songs. It is 14 minutes long. It is just like er, screaming, <laughs> incoherent screaming at a thousand miles an hour for 25 seconds. Confused audience, half claps, er, bang, into the other one. By, by the way, the title's a great joke, don't you yeah. think? It's an yeah, amazing it's, joke and great. It's like for a band that's not very self-aware, it's a yeah. really, really good joke it's to really, call it Land Speed Record. It's really funny. <laughs> it's like faster than allowed. Yep. It's, it's faster than, than it's faster than music. It's so fast. You can't even like, you can't even consume it, but they, they make it, they, they, uh, they, and these, these guys are from St. Paul, Minnesota. It's a trio. Um, they meet at a record store around uh, McAllister college. It's the same record store that will launch the replacements. It's, um, and that whole St. Paul music scene, they signed to SST records in 1983, which is the Los Angeles label run by Greg Ginn from black flag. Um, it's where the Minutemen are, it's where Black Flag is, the Meat Puppets. It becomes the, epi the most important record label in the United States for about four years. Every great American hardcore act that isn't Minor Threat is on this label at one point or another. Sonic Youth records for them. They put out a double record called Zen Arcade in 1984. It's a, it's a concept record about a teenage kid who loses his way and, and leaves home. And it's it's a part of it is this crazy hardcore, but some of it slows down and they, you realize that these guys are writing fantastic songs, great lyrics, and both the, the guitarist Bob Mould and the drummer Grant Hart are both songwriters. They're both good singers. They're both good songwriters. And they start to, they start a Lennon and McCartney competition with one another, like trying to one outdo the other. Zen Arcade, the double album comes out in 84 and it changes what hardcore is like, it's a concept record. It requires you to listen. It's long. You get drawn into the story. In 1985, they make two records. They're two best. That's the first one is called New Day Rising. The second one is called Flip Your Wig. And in this moment, they become the, the hardcore Beatles. Um, and I'm, I'm comparing to the Beatles on purpose because the Beatles start as an imitation of the thing they love most, right? The Beatles get together, like, let's play all these 50s songs that we love so much, right? But they've got to fill a set. So they also learn all these ridiculous stuff. Like, let's learn all the songs from the Music Man and let's learn all these vaudeville songs. And they go to Hamburg, Germany. 
and they play seven hour shows like night after night after night after night after night and they get good. Husker Du, which is the band we're talking about, does the same thing. They start by let's be the fastest hardcore band of all time. And then they're like, but you know what? We love this. That's not why we became musicians. We love these guys and we love that guy. By the time they come to 1985, they take the song craft of the Beatles and put it through the buzzsaw of American hardcore. And the cover of Flip Your Wig is perfect for what's inside of it. It's uh, it's all of this, uh, the frosting you use to um, decorate cakes kind of melting down the side of the record. It's like, what if Ugh. you take a birthday cake and just put a blowtorch to it? Like, what would it look like in that moment where the heat and the cake are just living together before they consume one another? Husker Du in 1985 are everything I love about music. They are tuneful. They are ambitious. They are loud. They are crazy energetic. Um, and uh, I love both these records. I'm going to play the biggest hit song because every time I try to play a deep cut, I lose people even more than <laughs> I've already lost them. So Husker Du had no hits. Um, after this record, they signed to Warner Brothers. They're the first hardcore band to make the major label jump. They make two records, they break up. And um, Bob Mould has since had an incredible career. He started Sugar and had some actual top 10 hits. He's had an incredible solo career. He still lives out here in San Francisco and is still a great musician. But for me, 84 to 87, Husker Du is one of the great bands of all time and, and the great American band of that moment in my estimation. This is their song, Makes No Sense At All from Flip Your Wig. It's the closest thing this band had to a hit. If you don't like this, you will not like them. So <laughs> if you hear this and you're like, Jeff, what the hell are you talking about? But if you don't mind your rock and pop music kicking you in the ass a little bit, then and, and you like this, then oh there are so many wonderful songs awaiting you on Husker Du's record. So here we go. Makes no sense at all from my pick from 1985. I, I just want to see the look on your students' faces when you play this. Like, are they like, just like, are you insane? Yeah, that's basically, they're like, are you okay? Like, they worry <laughs> about me. Like, are you listening to that on purpose for fun? Bob Mould plays a Flying V Gibson that he bought for like $50, and he puts, he puts it simultaneously through a Fender Princeton and a Marshall stack turned up. So that's why you get that, like, kind of cheese grater, grindy top with all that thick bottom end. 
and uh, they played. It's the loudest show I've ever heard. I saw Husker do in 1987, uh, and it's uh, it's almost surely where I first got permanent hearing damage. I've never heard anything louder in my life, but it you know I loved every second of it because I knew every song from the downbeat, and uh, they were just uh, they were overwhelming live, like just like the loudest most. Like for a trio without any support instruments, that's a trio. Like I just, it it was such a full sound. Um, And the other thing that I want to say is that um, Bob and Grant are both gay and it was kind of an open secret. Um, And then after they broke up, Bob came out and, and uh, to, you know, those of us who were raised in the suburbs in the eighties, like I was not, privileged to grow up with an open-minded world around me when it came to homosexuality and you know like most people like most white suburban morons my age like I had to make a gay friend and I had to I had to be proximate to realize that all the homophobia I was raised with was absurd this band helped me so much Mm. like I loved these guys so much I loved these songs about love so much and when i when i realized these were gay men writing about other gay men it just it something internally for me shifted like there's no way you can love these songs and have them mean so much to you and not understand something fundamental like if if these songs are for you and they are love songs about love they're not love songs about your your version of love so a huge shout out to those guys for bravely breaking down all kinds of barriers in rock and roll for sure. So I dig this, this record in particular. I love that song. That was the first song Jeff played by Husker Du. I remember it really well. That was, that's his sales song when he's selling Husker <laughs> Du. That's where he goes for sure. Yeah. Am I wrong? Isn't Gen Arcade like the masterpiece? That's what the critics point out is the best. It's probably, I don't think it's better. Like side two of Zen Arcade is so loud and fast and crazy that um, it turns most people off, but the high points of Zen Arcade are, are unbelievably great yeah but yeah i agree with you and also that that song and this is where tim tim would traditionally chime in similar to the clash where it's like it's not even it doesn't even sound hardcore you know what i mean it's just a great rock song sounds like bob mold yeah yeah i thought it was good but um just to give you an idea i want to give you a little um oh no don't you're gonna drive people away now (laughs) yeah just so you know the thing is like the two years before that, they sounded like this. Two, three, four. What? Just playing. What? Just stop screaming. Game. Crossing. Don't need to mouse play. Freaking out, man. I mean, that's that, 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 that's that, hilarious. They went from that to makes no sense at all so quickly. Like once they decided like, hey, what would happen if we slowed down? And like just the whole Sonic, like all the stuff they grew up loving just like immediately started to find its way into the material, you know? Meanwhile, it's like seven years later and I'm wearing flannel and thinking I'm really cool listening to, <laughs> that's a good idea. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is like, you know, at, for a lot of people we talked about smells like teen spirit and you know i remember where i was the first time i heard it. i was like this is great and i was thrilled and i was really pissed at the same time i was like how did husker do how are those guys broke like you know like nirvana was just uh, another iteration of something that 
a lot of us have been listening to for seven or eight years, you know, so. All right. Good stuff. Who's your do? <laughs> Nicely done. Ben right, Martin. So I have to ask permission uh -oh. to make my choice this week. All right. So the permission is, um, it's a tie for my favorite run DMC record. It's either the first one or it's Raising Hell. But um, I, I've already chosen a song from Raising Hell. I'm asking permission to do Raising Hell in a week so I can choose a different act for this week. And Timmy, you'll be pleased. Not a yes. problem. Wait. Excellent. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about then named John Cougar Mellencamp. <laughs> Jeffrey K. Simons. Can you name John Cougar, uh, then John Cougar, his first album and what year it was released? The Kid Inside, 1979. Oh, my friend. Oh, no. 1976 <laughs> Chestnut Street Incident. No way! Holy crap! Then there's 1978's A Biography. Oh, oh I'm way I off. I want to know about then the there's Chestnut there's 1979's John Cougar with the note, <laughs> the note on Wikipedia released as Miami in Australia. And you're like, well, surely that helped with sales. Wow. <laughs> the first album you've heard of, and this, by the way, it, uh, I don't like this record. It's not a good record. And it's a hilarious cover art. But the name of the album is one of the all-time greats. Nothing Matters and What, and if, what it if It Did, did. Oh 1980. And by the way, wow. that was a motto for me in, as a teenager. And it still sticks with me. Like every <laughs> once in a while, I love like, that's actually, there's some wisdom in there for sure. Um, what am I thinking of? Is the kid inside some Hold kind the of phone. like hodgepodge? 1982, American Fool. Yeah. Okay. 1983, The Kid Inside. Oh my God. Wow. And by the way, I got them all wrong. His first album is released on MCA, Chestnut Street Incident. And then he it bombs. He yep. gets cut and he goes through Reva, 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 Reva. Main Man Records is The Kid Inside. Oh. Uh -huh. yeah, it's because it's it's because it's recorded in '77 was supposed to be the follow-up for Chestnut Street, and they stuck it out once he hit. So yep. I am right that it's old stuff. Oh, I like it. Okay, that's been released in 83. Yeah. Also with Uh-Huh, that's his first really, really, really big record. Yeah. Um, and that's his first good record. I think, I'm pretty sure Uh-Huh has got Pink Houses on it, which yeah, it is does. like one of right. my 10 favorite um, yeah. Mellencamp songs. Do you know that The Kid Inside includes a song called The Whore? <laughs> and a cover of David Bowie's The Man Who Sold the World. Oh, I did know that. The Man Who Sold the World, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, totally. So by the time we get to 1985 Scarecrow, um, people like Jeff, I assume, I, I, like, I experienced him as a new act. I was like, oh, it's the Walls Who Are Crumbling Down guy. It's like actually yeah. put on a good record. It's right, amazing. Right. But I mean, it's, it's actually a little bit more like Billy Joel. Like yeah. he's been pounding nails into the floor with his head since 1976 desperately trying to make it he changed his name to john cougar he just wants it so bad he's just hustling at it really hard he hits the sweet spot in 85 and then he goes on a run i mean yep. basically if you count uh-huh as a good record which i do you go uh-huh scarecrow lonesome jubilee then we take a little bit of a left turn with big daddy yeah okay so the title track to big daddy is the song Big Daddy, and it's a song about being a horrible, miserable father who screams at your children all the time. That sounds bad. And I was like, well, that's weird. Huh. 
what an interesting character study by Mellencamp. <laughs> I wonder who he could possibly be describing. Oh my God. In between, and this is all allegedly, but in between Big Daddy and whenever we wanted, he leaves his wife and his kids and he disowns his children. Oh. The divorce oh. is so ugly that he's like, I don't know any of y'all. F you. Like, I'm happy to write you a check, but I'm done with it. Whenever we wanted, which by the way is also a terrific record, has got a song called Last Chance on it. And if you couple Big Daddy with Last Chance, it's like two of the most painful songs you've ever heard. Last Chance happens on Christmas Eve. He's looking out on a snowy night and it's the last chance to change his mind before he destroys his life. And he just keeps on going because he has no feelings anymore. Oh, wow. It's just brutal. Then we go Human Wheels. And then, in my opinion, it just kind of drops off after Human Wheels. I mean, I think Human Wheels is a great record. Dance Naked, not so much. Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky, extra not so much. 1998's John Mellencamp, 1999 Rough Harvest, and they were completely done. Wow. Um, he has a run, though. The Human Wheels all the way through to Aha uh-huh Run. That's a 10-year run where he puts out some tremendous, tremendous records. And it's actually, like, they're so good, I guess... I'd actually be curious to hear what Jeff thinks. I guess maybe Jubilee's my favorite, but Scarecrow might be my favorite. Like they're just, there's just one great record after another. Um, here's what I like about Scarecrow. The song, first of all, 1985 is also the first year of Farm Aid, which I can't believe Timmy didn't bring up for us. I know. Um, basically I know organized by Mellencamp. And there's a version of it where you're like, Mellencamp's just a really, really discount Springsteen. He's just a really, right. really discount um, Woody Guthrie. But the, the farm stuff, like he actually brings a special Indiana flavor to it. He's got a different take on it. And dude, the song Rain on the Scarecrow. Ooh! When his friend Jeb comes to take away his farm. <laughs> says, John, it's just my job. And I hope you'll understand. Hey, God. Calling it your job, says, old hoss. This sure don't make it right. If you want me to, I'll say a prayer for your soul tonight. I, just brutal. And that's brutal. the exact lyric I was thinking of. Just serious. And dude, also, you know... Um, like we like I celebrate a lot of songs about suffering. You know what I mean? Like I'm a huge public enemy guy. Dude, the this period, like if you want to know why rural America is so screwed up, this period is a huge portion of it. The transition where the banks just bankrupted family farms, right, stole their land and gave it to corporations, is just brutal. Like yeah. just hideous. Um, and if you've driven across Indiana or Iowa, I mean, it's just like one factory farm after another. Um, and, you know, food is cheap. So maybe that was good. But I mean, it was really searing for the folks who lived through it. And Mellencamp's the voice of it. Um, but I'm not going to choose Scarecrow. I'm going to choose Small Town, which is, really? again, one of my all-time favorites. Because, Jeff, I live in a small town. Not, I'm not still Bruce... hasty enough to say, look who's in the big town. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Not Bruce Springsteen's small town. No, John no, no. Cougar oh, Mellencamp. Yeah, and path. this one's preferable, man. Oh, this yeah. This is one where he actually tops Springsteen. Scarecrow by John Cougar Mellencamp. Well, I was born in a small town Small town. I've been dying in a small town. Oh, small. 
So one thing to really note, and I feel bad I didn't point this out ahead of time. This entire era, Kenny Aronoff is the name of the drummer. Right. That's it's one of the best drummers ever to pick up sticks. Like, just go back and listen to it. And, and you know, it's, it's like the Pink Houses is like this. All of yeah. these songs are, are like, Check It Out is like this. Like, the drum parts are unaccountably good. They sound fantastic. Best sounding snare drum of the decade. Yeah. I Not mean, even close. Wailing on it. And I saw him two or three times uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. And, woo, I mean, it was really so something you know, to see. Do you know sure. the story about this? So Kenny is Cougar's live drummer. They go into the studio to record American Fool. And the producer, after one day, is like, I'm bringing in a pro. Your drummer sucks. <laughs> and Kenny's like disconsolate. And Cougar's like, look, you want to be my drummer for the next 10 years? He's like, yeah. He's like, I need, you to, I need you to stay and watch this studio guy and figure out what you can't do that he can so this never happens to you again. And Arnoff sits and takes notes while a studio guy plays all the drums on American Fool. And then the next time they come in on Uh-Huh, Arnoff's got everything dialed in to the millimeter. And he's like, I could have given up. I could have had been prideful. I could have gotten pissed. Instead, I just took my lumps and sat there and got an education in what I didn't know about studio drumming and turned himself into the best studio drummer of the decade. I wow. just love that story so much. Yeah, That's a great amazing. story. Love this, love this album. I, you know, great record. Si Situate is a small town. Uh, it's on the coast. It's more of a fisherman's town, a lobsterman's town. First of all, it's a but suburb of Boston. It is. Not, it's a suburb of Boston. Not when I grew Don't up, young man. Listen. Don't try to tell me sailors come <laughs> to know Situate town and the guys. But we loved John Cougar in our town. And there's a isn't it Rumble Seat on this? Yeah, album? yeah. totally. Jeff's got some real bangers. For Jeff, sure. play a little Rumble Seat. Yes, sir. I mean, so funny. Two years ago, that album that I almost picked, or is that three years ago? And, and remember, I was going to pick that album, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is rough. Like, there just aren't enough good songs nope. on oh, it." Oh yeah, but dude, I mean, so first of all, this song does have "Rock" in the USA, which, which is unforgivably just so bad, super oh, bad, super yeah. bad. That being said, if you choose a 10, 10 song album, would just cut that one. I know. Yeah. 
Reign yeah. of the Scarecrow, and then it's got this beautiful, weird 50-second grandma's theme that's like a traditional, yeah. like, old-fashioned folk song. It's actually his grandmother singing. On yeah. Small Town, Minutes to Memories, Lonely oh. All Night, Face of the Nation, Justice and Independence, Between Laugh and a Tear, Rumble Sheet, You Gotta Stand for Something. I mean, great records. Great songs. I love Lonely All Night. Lonely oh. All Night is one of those, un- so. like, it was the first single, so nobody wants to pick it as their favorite song on the record. It's a good song. It's a great single yeah. it's so and it's challenging like there's all that and it has the great couplet she calls me baby she calls everybody baby which i think <laughs> is one of the greatest lines on the whole record i just oh, love that good stuff yeah uh, melancamp melancamp at this moment doesn't get enough credit and it's partly because he's a he's a problematic human being nobody right. Nobody sits around. It's like, you know, who is a fun guy? That John <laughs> Cougar Mellencamp. Like oh, yeah. Notoriously a hard ass and a Prickly. dick and hard to deal with. But I think Lonesome Jubilee is my favorite. That's the one I would have gone with. I Because he adds the violin and like it's got the, the real life and hot dogs and hamburgers. Hot like, dogs and hamburgers. I absolutely love. But it God also has damn. Rudy Toot Toot. Rudy Toot Toot. A little bit. Which is really hard. To, and I don't really stomach. like paper and fire that much i mean oh, like, I like it, here's the thing that's funny about it is that like there's not a sync like and actually this is both to his credit and his detriment there's not a single record you know what i mean it's not a record where you're like oh wow that yeah. one's clearly head and shoulders yeah, yeah just, you're like, right. each you're one right. from 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 83 to 93 all of those records have songs that are so great you're like i don't know maybe you know what i mean yeah like whenever we want it's got um oh two or three unbelievable songs at it but it also has melting pot which is unlistenable in a melting pot. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, dude, whenever we want, it's got uh, Love and Happiness, Now More Than Ever, and I Now More Than Ever, that's the are one the that... first three. And then Crush number six me. is Last Chance, which is my favorite song. Oh, like, great. Maybe my favorite song, but I mean, that's how dark it is. Yeah. But I mean, I love that one. <laughs> well, it's so funny. Ben, I remember you saying this in season one. Uh, you- you know, when I was, I think I was complaining about what, why didn't, why didn't they do that again? And you're like, well, it, it's hard to write a good song. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but boy, John Cougars is out there trying. Like, I mean, it's a big career, a lot of songs he wrote and sometimes they suck. Uh, but a lot of times they're great. Yeah. Well, it actually, it kind of helped me when I looked at it, when I actually went back and looked at the discography, I had no idea that he'd been humping it for so long. Right. Like it explains uh, it a lot more hunger. Sense. His, like and and it's like honestly just frankly borderline desperation uh to make it and then yeah. once he makes it he's got a couple of albums where he can ride that out and then the sourness of it yeah um has some beautiful art to it but also just turned turned ugly pretty quick yeah. well you know there's a difference between the like the east coast work ethic of springsteen and the midwestern work ethic of mellencamp like springsteen's got that east coast like i'm not changing my fucking name like, are you kidding me? You wanted me to, yeah, I'm Bruce Springsteen. And Mellencamp's like, well, if you don't like Mellencamp, I mean, I could go with John Cougar. I mean, I'm amenable. Like, it's a, just that, and, and you know, for, for better or for worse in each guy, which I think is so interesting is, as a kid, Springsteen was an unbelievable pain in the ass. And now he's this big hearted guy who hugs everyone and cries in every interview. Mellencamp was like, just tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. And now he's this bitter, twisted old walnut. Like, there's definitely a... There's a cautionary tale for both for both approaches to life buried in those two guys. So, did you see that picture of them at the beach in Jersey last month? I did see that. Yeah, that was, for sure. That's great. Imagine being at that diner and you see 
Springsteen and I know uh, if I'm Mellon working that together. diner, I better get a great tip. <laughs> if if my table is those two guys, 15% is not enough. Not gonna do it. All right. <laughs> well, you guys did well. 1985, though. Um, I'm gonna pick an album that Jeff Simons uh purchased for me. You no know, I can't way. I can't go wrong if I'm doing that. You purchased the pogues for me and this is my uh introduction rum sodomy and the lash oh baby rum sodomy and the lash by the pogues But my love by the gasworks wall Dream the dream by the old canal I kiss my girl by the factory wall Dirty old town Dirty old town is this their first album it's their second record the first record's called red roses for me and it's much punkier and it's mostly uh traditional songs played like sped up to be punk uh, yeah, songs yeah. but this is the first song where uh mcgowan's writing his own stuff and really stretching it out so it reached... although the best song on the record is a cover which is kind of wild uh uh, Waltzing Matilda. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a killer. It's a killer. Uh, this album gets up to number 17 in New Zealand, number 89 in Australia, and all the way to number 13 in the UK. It does not chart in the United States. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. They just did not um, connect really with the US audience, did they? Well, it gets bigger for fall from grace with god and peace and love like those records are played on the radio for sure really at least college radio but this uh, record okay yeah does can you name the producer of this record timmy who produced I, this record no who is it ben i'll give you a hint lily white did the next record right yeah but the one? producer of this record ends up marrying the bass player kato Rorden. no idea elvis costello oh, oh really oh, i should have gotten that yeah oh that's fun Look at that. Which is why Fiesta is about getting drunk at Elvis Costello's wedding on the next record. Because It all comes full circle. It Doesn't always it comes back. And the next one is If I Should Fall for the Grace of yeah. God, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's a weird EP in the middle that's got the yeah. Even American on it. Yep. 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 Okay. Yep. Grace of God is that. I mean, that to me is like easily their best. That's the one I like the best. Me too. That's the masterwork. Good stuff. All right, gentlemen. It is over. 1985 is done. Next time I talk to you, I will be the coach of a state playoff uh, winning volleyball team. How about that? Come on, Timmy. Let's Way do to it. go, Blues. By the I way, mean, Ben. Tim, I, Tim is selling this short. I, I happen to have inside information that they are hosting a state volleyball game tomorrow night for the first time in or Thursday night for the first yeah. time in school 
history. In school's, school history. School's school been open since 1900. And who Grant, was the volleyball coach, Tim, again? Grant, Who's coaching granted, we, didn't, we didn't admit women until 1972. But still, uh, it's a long time. Yours awesome. truly is the coach. Uh, ben Barton, do you know how many playoff games you have to win in California to win the California state title? How many Hopefully playoff games? 32. <laughs> it's so, 1,054 teams enter the bracket. Yeah, yeah that's right. You, you got to go on a bit of a run in California. North Carolina is a little smaller. I was joking that you have to win the MCAL, then you have to win the North Coast. Then you have to win the NorCal, and then you get to play in the state tournament. <laughs> like, it's like California's like winning Europe. There's so <laughs> many, like, there's so many teams. Good stuff. Crazy. Uh, um, do we have a moment to talk Tennessee football or no? I was going to yeah, ask. Sure. What happened? We're very, yeah. By the way, yeah. What happened at the stadium? I was watching, and then uh, I was watching with the sound off, and then. It's like, boy, the last minute of this game is taking forever. And then golf balls are flying out of the upper deck and bottles of, of brownish liquid. I was like, this is not good. I have to defend our good friends over there. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> the stadium. Yes. Uh, it's a very poorly officiated game. Lane Kiffin's a dick. <laughs> what are you going to really do? He's such a jackass. <laughs> they lay down pretending to be hurt to slow down, slow us down. I mean, you know, like obviously it's not good to throw stuff on the field and, and we got punished, but people well, are acting to me. It's like people are acting like it's like the who concert where people got stampeded. I mean, you know, they threw some stuff on the field. Like, yeah. I, like at Yankee Stadium, people used to bring in batteries and throw them with the players. Like that's a thing that happens. There's yep. a history with Lane Kiffin and, um, the University of Tennessee. Yes, an unfortunate so, history indeed. Yeah. So, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta know the history. To... He is one punchable, smarmy guy, though, and they like he's got the popped collar. Like, I mean, he is a guy who walks in an oh, hour dude, late he's to a the party. Total, he's like the the villain in Back to School. Like, he's yep. an '80s villain. He really sure. is. He is. He is super <laughs> funny though. When he was here as our coach. <laughs> he got loaded. That's like a local singles bar that everybody knows. He got super drunk there and, and had like three women in his car and piled into it, got drunk and piled into somebody's like fence and then left the women in the car and ran home. Stop. And got it. And they, and they were like, they like the police arrived and there was no driver. There were just these drunk women in the car. And they were like, what happened? They were like, I don't know where Lane go. And, and he was like, I was home all night. Anyhow, uh, in, in terms of him being hilarious, when he came back, a local reporter was like, Lane, you think you're going to find some time to go out? He was like, well, it didn't work out for me so good when I lived here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. And I should have said allegedly before my story. Allegedly. Just to clarify. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> That's the lawyer in you. Allegedly, this thing I just told you allegedly happened. You oh guys, God, be amazing. good. Uh, we'll figure out our next recording time later. Indeed. Well done, Jimmy. Uh, we should Thank probably you, just do tomorrow night for next week. But yeah. Maybe get back up. Seems a little weird. Yeah. We'll see how we feel. All right. Peace. Later hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hot 95. Serving the internet. Hit.
Hit Radio. Now, I know people listen to other radio stations. I just don't understand why. We have Taylor Swift. The Weekend. Harry Styles, SZA, Ed Sheeran, Rizzy Drake, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, and many more. Make Hot 95 your home for the hits. Download Autolist in the App Store, Google Play Store, and wherever apps are available. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.